So I have a question for you. You, my female listeners today, a serious question. What do you think about your hair? Do you like your hair? Or do you love your hair? Do you hate your hair? Is it too something where you do battle with your hair because it's too long, too short, too fried, too frizzy, too straight, too curly, too fluffy, too froey, too blonde, too brunette, too gray, too oily, too everything, too dry. What did you think of your hair when you were younger, a teenager, or even a little kid? Were you picked on, ridiculed, put down, told that you were ugly for your hair? That's what happened to me. And today, we're going to talk about hair from a black female perspective. There's more than meets the eye. There's a lot of pain, a lot of cultural differences. And a lot of times we don't talk about this. But today, I'm talking about it. So, let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk, stories and observations beyond small talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins. And today I've been waffling back and forth. If you guys have been listening to the show for a while, you know that a lot of times I'll get an idea and I'm like, that's what I'm going to talk about. Literally like a few hours or the day before or the day before the day before. And this time... I was going to talk about a few different topics last week, and then we had to go visit my stepson in the hospital, so time got away from me, and then also raising a baby. It is tiring. I have the world's best baby, but it is tiring. Um, So here I am. It is a Monday. Usually, I try to record at least one show every week, and I apologize. I didn't get a show out last week, but I am going to do two or three this week, God willing. Hopefully, this all comes together. But I had these ideas that I wanted to talk about, and then last night, I was watching a couple of different documentaries, and it struck me that I wanted to talk about something else. And I was like, do I really want to talk about this kind of thing? Because I've touched on some of these topics, and they're very personal. And so I was like, okay, I can talk about this on the main show, or I can talk about it on the paid subscription show. And then I kind of waffled back and forth, back and forth. But I feel like I want to reach as many people as possible with this show, because it's all about connecting and inspiring and motivating and building understanding about all kinds of topics. You know, when people say to me, oh, you have a podcast, and they have that look like, okay, I've never heard of it, so it must be nothing. I mean, that's the look I regularly get. But when they pass that, they're like, well, what's it about? And I always say, you know, it's semi-autobiographical, and we talk about topical issues, but I also talk about things that most people don't want to talk about at a Thanksgiving table, race, religion, um, 
uncomfortable things. You know, in, in the past shows, I did the sex episode, which I'm just like, Ugh, some of those got to be too uncomfortable, which is why I stopped doing those. But just all kinds of things that people are like, oh, no, don't talk about that. Depression, anxiety. You guys know because you've been listening. And so I decided to do this. I want to talk about this topic that I really was inspired to talk about here today on the main show. And then I have a companion piece on the paid subscription show. So it's a, it's a twofer. It's a chapter one and a chapter two. And I hope you will subscribe. Again, you do hear the episodes. Um, I've said this before. There's been just a bunch of confusion with how Anchor did the rollout. But you can listen to them on either anchor.fm or Anchor the app. Or you can also listen to them on Spotify, the app, or on Spotify, I guess, .com, I believe it is. Unfortunately, you cannot listen to them on Apple, but at least you have two places. And it's so easy to download apps to your phone that in some ways it doesn't matter. But there you can listen to all of my shows, Anchor and Spotify, or just the paid subscription episodes. Because most people listen on Apple. Apple is the number one pad podcast platform. The downside is there are no notifications. You just have to sort of check and see if there's new episodes, which I don't like that. I wish there was a way, but they're working on it, supposedly. All that being said, I hope you will subscribe because today I am going to do a companion piece, sort of part one, part two. And it all started from watching on Netflix last night. I, and according to my, you know how Netflix, if you have Netflix, which most people in America and across the world, I guess, do, they have like a top 10 of what people are watching, which I really like because I'm like, oh, I've seen that or I'm watching that or I should watch that. It, it knows me. Netflix knows me because they suggest all these things that I love. I love British uh, movies and dramas. I love mysteries and documentaries and heists and, um, prison breaks for some reason and road trip movies. I don't know why I like those kinds of things, but I do. And Netflix has discovered that about me. But I love interviews and documentaries. And so Netflix had suggested, and it was in my top 10 list, that I watch this interview with Oprah and Viola Davis. And so I did. My husband had gone to sleep and I wasn't sleepy yet. So it was kind of late. The baby was asleep. And Viola Davis is the most decorated and nominated black female actress ever in the history of the United States of America. I mean, if you don't know who she is, she did a TV show called How to Get Away with Murder. Um, she was in so many things. I think it was The Help, you know, The Help was a famous movie that everybody loved. Uh, just movie after movie, there's something about her when she delivers, uh, she was also in a movie called Ma, Ra Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And she's in the Showtime series about Michelle Obama. But when she does a scene that is like a cry scene or some angst where she has to like yell at somebody, chills every single time. Every single time I watch her. I watched her in this, uh, most recently, the Sandra Bullock show. It wasn't a movie. Or was it a movie? I can't, I can't remember. I think it was a movie on Netflix. I kind of watched it in pieces. And it was about 
Sandra Bullock, who had raised her daughter and when she was like a young woman and uh, all these bad things happen. So I don't want to spoil it, but Sandra Bullock ends up in jail and finally she's released. And the person that moves into Sandra Bullock's house after Sandra goes to jail is, well, not the actress, but the character played by Viola Davis. And she has this scene where she's out on the lawn, like yelling back at Sandra Bullock and Oh, it's so good. Like it's just, you feel all of this emotion and the power behind her performances. And that's just it. She is powerful. Even when she was accepting her Oscar, I mean, I don't, somebody, I don't know how she speaks, but there's a, I mean, I know she speaks and we understand English, but the way that she speaks is captivating. There's no better word. There's no one like her, in my opinion, who captivates me. And so she has a book out. And I'm not, honestly, I'm not a big reader. I'm moderately dyslexic, dyslexic, can't even say it. And I think the last book that I read from beginning to end was in high school. And that was a long time ago. I will start books and just not finish them. And in high school, I read the V.C. Andrews books, where if you have a teenager who can't get through books, give them those. There's like a lot of like angst, but then there's sex and then there's turmoil and then there's love, but there's mystery. It, they were so good. And I read all of the V.C. Andrews books and they were all 500 pages, soft cover. I could not put those books down. And there's, uh, they're just good. So if you're interested, even yourself, VC, just the letters, and then last name Andrews. And I think she's got, I don't know, four or five, six from the 80s, like different, um, uh, like groupings of books. And then a few sing singular ones, I think maybe not, maybe they were all different uh, segments of, I'm losing the word that I'm looking for. But um, and then she died and then somebody else took over. They, they call her like, um, like the VC Andrews estate writer or something like that, which is, it's not the same anyway. So Viola Davis has this book out and Oprah interviews her on Netflix about the book. And so the interview is eh, just shy of an hour. And Viola talks about this abject poverty that she came from. I mean, even Oprah who says she grew up poor was like, I didn't grow up this poor. And they kind of joke about it a little bit. But so Viola starts talking about how she grew up in Rhode Island and she was like chased by these bullies and called the N word and ugly and dark black. She's a darker skinned black woman. And they used to throw bricks at excuse me, I have the hiccups here. They used to throw bricks at her and just anything they could, sticks, and she would just run home. And when she would get home, she got home to a home filled with rats and being hungry and just, I mean, watch the interview and obviously more about it in the book. But this one part struck me. She starts to talk about not being perceived as beautiful or sexy. And it was all because of her dark skin and her hair. And 
Oprah asks her some really good questions about how do you get over that stuff and how do you move forward in your life when you come from starvation and and I mean they just a lot of times didn't have any food and didn't have any heat and it's a freezing winter in Rhode Island and she's like has a dad who's abusing her mom and she's getting abused at school by these kids and then there's sexual molestation as well by a family friend or somebody she didn't really get into too much detail but I know she's talked about it in other interviews and I'm sure she discusses it further in the book but it struck me when Oprah asked, and I'm paraphrasing, about the fact that when Viola got married, and she got married later in life, I'm not quite sure of how old she was, but I think she was maybe early 40s. Um, and Viola talks about how all the way through her life, she didn't feel deserving and she didn't feel beautiful or sexy. And she felt like society and people regularly told her that. And I started to think about, I think she mentions her hair. But I started to think about, I want to do a show dedicated to the pain and struggle of black women's hair. And a lot of white women would be like, what? You want to do a show about hair? Or even white men. The idea that I am doing a show about this may seem comical. But I want to share with you personal experiences that I've had. And there's one that I literally forgot about. My husband and I were out walking with my baby and we go to this one park and we just, I love walking with him because that's when he, my husband is, um, he's not type A, I don't, what, he's more of an introvert and duh, obviously I like to talk and I'm just like blah, 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 and I'm really easy, a really easy talker, fast talker, fast thinker and my husband is not that. It sometimes takes him a while, but when you take him walking or driving or he takes you walking or driving, he is better at it. And so then I'll do more talking. And so somehow we were talking about how, not even somehow, now I remember, there's, uh, or there was one of those, um, what do they call them? Like a, a pony sign? I don't know what they're called, but it's like this A-frame plastic sign with orange and white stripes. It's like a guard signs like don't go here you know it's usually your parks and recreation part of your city put up these things like it's plastic it's like usually it'll block different lanes or where you're not supposed to go so there's this one lane where one of the poles is down where the where the walkway is and so they've had these little i'll call them a-frame signs up for a while and somebody had graffitied the n-word on there and i thought wow life in america and I had seen that maybe three or four weeks back and my husband wasn't with me. And so we're walking to, to that day and uh, someone had graffitied over it, something I could not read, but it no longer said the N word. And I was like, wow, great. Like I took that as a compliment. Like, yeah, some graffiti artist, some, you know, some kid probably doing something illegal was like, oh no, not the N word. Let's change it to whatever the squiggle says now. And I was just like, that's great. And I told my husband about that. And then we start talking about race and memories. And I remembered 
that I used to, and and again, we ended up talking about hair, and I think we even started talking about the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap, and this memory sort of flushed back into my brain. And I remember when I was in elementary school, and I can see myself there. It's like I'm, I'm actually closing my eyes because I used to do this a lot. Not all the time, not year after year, but a lot. I used to have all these hair ribbons, and I would tie the hair ribbons to my hair so that they would hang down, you know, like almost to my elbow, so it was hair, so that I could have long flowing hair. And I would tie like, you know, eight or nine ribbons just sporadically. It looked ridiculous. Some were like those furry ribbons. I hate those. And some were like the soft ones. Some were green, some were red, some were blue, some were pink. It didn't matter. I just used what I had because I wanted to know what it was like to have long flowing hair. This was the 70s and 80s. And all of the white kids in my school, or the majority, had white flowing hair. I'm sorry, not white flowing hair, had long flowing hair. And I've mentioned this before, that in my first elementary school, my brother and I were the only black kids. And this was in sort of upstate, slightly rural New York. And whenever you mention that you grew up in New York, people are like, the city? No, there's a whole huge state that is far bigger than the city. I did eventually live in the city, but I did not um, only live in the city. So it was this little small rinky-dink town that was horrible and backward and racist. And you can go back and listen to episodes where I've talked about that before, early on, about my racist teacher and on and on. So in my second school in Colorado, because we moved when I was nine, so I went to two different elementary schools, it was very similar. My, my class had one black kid, and I think my brother's class either had one or none. And then the classes below us had none, and I think there was like one other black kid in like first grade when I was in third. So that's what I was surrounded with, was mostly white kids. And a lot of the girls had long hair. And I just, it's like, I yearned for that. I wanted this hair that would bounce and was shiny and then I could put in a ponytail and if I ran, it would jiggle behind me. And it became almost an obsession. Because the American standard for beauty, even when you're young, or normalcy, because I didn't care about beauty when I was in elementary school. Beauty meant nothing. Sometimes I would comb my hair. Sometimes I didn't. I remember like, oh, I got up late. So I just eat my breakfast, get my lunch and go to school. And my hair was just like, Wah. you know, because I, I, I didn't care. I, I put on whatever I could find, you know, like, oh, I like this shirt and I like these pants. Like I looked cute, but I wasn't trying to, at least early on, attain or be part of the American beauty standard so much. I mean, I again, I cared about what I wore, but obviously there was no makeup when I was in elementary school. There was, but I didn't wear it. I didn't consider it. It was for older people. And so it just was about what was normal. And to me, as a black kid in the 1980s in elementary school, what was normal was white kids with long, flowing, shiny, bouncy hair which wasn't me. And that was hard. And so I've long since forgot about this memory, but I would run around the house 
just flipping my hair and just being like, oh, my hair's in my face. Like it's so in the way, like all the stuff that the girls in my school would say like, oh, it's just oh, such a pain. And I would just like run and shake my head back and forth. And, you know, I don't know what my parents thought I was doing because they never asked me what I was doing. They didn't seem to notice. And thinking about that makes me really sad because I didn't see any beauty in my own hair. My hair was naturally curly, like a fro, and it. my mom straightened it because that's what was done. There was no like, you know, people who had dreadlocks, they lived in Jamaica. That wasn't even a thing. You know, I had never heard of dreadlocks back then. And people who had braids, that wasn't a thing either. It was like, that's what you had in Africa. And you didn't want anything to do with Africa because that was bad. You know, in a Africa, when I was a kid, was a place where they chucked spears, wore no clothing and had no education. That's basically how it was perceived. And that's what we believed as a kid anyway. And so anything to do with dark skin or natural hair was weird bad and mysterious. And that's what I had was this straightened fried hair that you could put in a bun or a ponytail that didn't move. And that was it. That's all there was. You could fry your hair and straighten it chemically. About every six weeks, you put in a, a like they call it a perm or a relaxer, which I always thought, wow, my hair's uptight. It needs to be relaxed. It's called a relaxer. My hair is actually not uptight. It's just a coarse, and even that word, that's what's used to describe black hair is coarse. No, it's just tight curls, or it's just curly. That's it. My hair's curly. Caucasian or Asian hair is straight. It doesn't need to be relaxed. It doesn't have any emotions. So that's a whole nother story. So that's what you do as a black person. Every six weeks or so, you take this cream that smells like peroxide and ammonia and you put it on your roots and you push on the roots of your hair as, as you sort of cream it all together and like, like smooth it over the roots and then the rest of your hair. And you wait 10 minutes or so and then you rinse it out. You wash it with some special shampoo. And when you get out, your hair is straight. That's how black people straighten their hair. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody talk about it. I've never thought to. And it weakens your hair. So now you have straight hair that is in a very weak state. So it breaks off. And now your hair that would have easily grown fast is now breaking off. So you can't grow long, luxurious, luxurious hair, which is what you wanted in the first place. So it's this whole dichotomy of things where it's like, okay, well, I want this straight, silky hair, but you don't even get straight, silky hair. You just get straight, sort of fried hair. And they've worked on these products over the years, and they've gotten better, but ostensibly it's the same thing. And unless you go to a salon, now if you go to a salon and they do your hair and they, you know, this, this is true for anyone who's black, white, doesn't matter, Asian, every time you go to the salon and they do your hair, they always do it better than you can. So if I would go to the salon, they would like have their magic product products and blow dry it in such a way that it would be bouncy and, and flowy and shiny. But I'm a kid and I'm not going to the salon every day. So I had this very straight sort of poofy. And then because I swam a lot as a kid, my hair turned kind of reddish. It was actually a really pretty color. It was like a golden red. 
And it wasn't like the other girls. And so there I am in my living room running around with ribbons in my hair, which I thought was cute and innovative. But as I look back, it's really sad. This is a kid that didn't think her hair had any value or that it was beautiful. I thought my hair was just this nuisance that was on my head. That's all it was. It was something to be ridiculed over. It had no value and it was not beautiful. So in between having racist teachers and, and being one of the only black kids in these white schools, which was the, the epitome of you've made it in black culture, it's like, okay, you want to have enough money so that your kids have everything they want and need and that you live in a nice home and they can get a great education. That's what every black person was aiming for. Well, I got it, but we got it almost first and no one knew what that would do to your psyche. It fucks you up, pardon my language, because then everything around you isn't you. And back then, there were no streaming services and, you know, tons of channels to choose from like there are now. And there's so many things that if you don't see yourself, you can find yourself. You know, there's channels that that focus on gay. There's channels that focus on black. There's channels that focus on all kinds of things, or at least YouTube channels or um different shows and movies. Most of the movies that, that were out were about white people. And most of the TV shows were about white people. And <clears throat> if you did see a black person, it was the one token, like the facts of life, or different strokes, or Webster. And then there were other shows that were just like, nah, we don't need any black people like Laverne and Shirley or Happy Days, which <laughs> I watched all those shows, but I'm like, wow, so this is supposed to be like the 50s, and in some cases, the 40s, I'm not even really sure what, what Laverne and Shirley was, but we didn't exist back then. Like, not even like as a small role from time to time. It just was whitewashed. So you grow up with this self-hatred. And for women, it starts with your hair. Because no one wants to really, any nice or relatively decent kid doesn't want to mention your skin because their mom has told them, you know, don't, everyone's the same. Some people just have darker skin. Don't say, don't point, because you would hear parents saying this in the grocery store or wherever. Don't say anything like you're some sort of animal in a zoo. Oh, shh, shh. They're just like everyone else. And that's all they were fed, they being white people, about race. So don't say anything about their skin. And for the most part, kids didn't. Not always. They talked about, do you tan? And why is this? And why is that? But hair. Parents didn't tell them not to say anything about hair. And it was very easy for teachers or uh, you know, principals or staff to just think, oh, well, it's a white kid picking on this black girl about her hair, just like a white kid would pick on a white girl about her hair, whatever. Like he might be like, your hair looks funny to his white counterpart, whatever. And that's the same thing. But it's not the same thing. Because when... As a black kid, you're picked on about your hair. That is about your culture. That is about your, your self-hatred is already there. And all they do is poke at it. It's like your hair doesn't move. Your hair is weird. You know, your hair looks like fire. That's what they said to me. I remember that. It said that in, in like middle school. What's wrong with your hair? How come your hair doesn't do what our hair does? And so you grow up with all this hatred. And there was this part in the interview with Viola Davis where she, she, 
she talks about the show, How to Get Away with Murder, and this scene, and I had seen this show, I, I think it's on like five or six seasons or something like that, and I only watched, I think, the first three, but there's a scene, for some reason, I don't remember why, where she takes she takes off all of her makeup, and it's all real, and you see her removing it with makeup remover and these little cloths, and then she takes off her wig, and you see her short, natural hair. And it's not straightened, it's not shiny, it's not bouncing and behaving, which was a commercial in the 80s where these white women would throw their hair back and it would jiggle and they'd say, my hair is bouncing and behaving. And again, nothing wrong with that. That's the American standard of beauty. But she takes off this wig and that's seen as ugly. And it's this powerful scene. And I know that every black woman that has ever seen that has been like, it's just so powerful and moving because we as young black women grow up hating our hair and we start this lifetime journey of battling our hair. You come out of the womb and you start straightening it, whether it's with a straightening comb, which is this hot, thin, oh, I get, oh, I get chills thinking about it. It's a comb, but it's not a traditional comb. It's got very little spaces between the little teeth of the comb and it, it's hot like a curling iron. And I can remember the sound it makes when it goes over your hair. It's like, oh, it's like this zing noise. Like when you, the eat, you know, if you're eating with a fork and it, you like rub the fork off your teeth as you pull it out of your mouth and a fork will go like zing and kind of vibrate. I've always hated that. And it'll like it, you pull your hair through and that's another way to straighten it. So it was awful. This is before flat irons. And so from the time you can remember, I take that back from the time that you can't even remember you as a black young girl, start the fight with your hair. It's not straight enough. It's not silky enough. It's not shiny enough. It's not anything enough. And so you develop this hatred, this not even love hate, but this ongoing fight. Because then when you get into middle school, at least for me back then, you start wearing makeup a little bit. I think, I don't know, lip gloss or some crap was starting to be a thing and maybe mascara. And then in high school, makeup and everything. And from childhood on, it's all about trying different things. Straightening it was always the thing. And then it was Jerry Curl, which is this product you get that gives you curls, but you have to put in these creams and what they would call activators, which was this spray lotion. So your hair was always wet. That's the only way that this sort of perm would work in your hair was if you kept it wet and, and it was slimy. And you, if you leaned against something, you would leave a mark and so then I, I got one of those because the, the girl in the Thriller video, which was really popular, and I've talked about some of this before, her name was Ola Ray, and it was really popular back then, and she was beautiful. And I thought, I need to get a jerry curl. And I was so excited because it was this curly hair, and it was something different, and it was shiny. And then I was ridiculed because when I would sit on the bus and I would lean up against the window, which I didn't just face forward because the kids that sat behind you would gleek on you which if you haven't heard about that, at least me and the girls that were in my neighborhood, it's like where you lift your tongue in a certain way and you lower your jaws and your salivary glands like shoot like fresh spit at people. It's like clean and clear. It's not bubbly, but it's still spit and they would gleek on you or make fun of you. So I would always sit with my back against the window on the bus so I could see 
what they were doing or try to come back with, you know, comebacks because they were making fun of me. And then they made fun of me because I would leave this smear on the window. And so whether it was braids, which, you know, you look like Medusa or what's that about? Or why do the ends look this way? Or why, you know, because little pieces of lint would stick to the braids and just no matter what I did, ridicule. And then extensions. Oh, oh, God, why would anybody have extensions? And then wigs became popular. What's wrong with wigs? Like, oh, that's for cancer patients. Until white women started wearing extensions and wigs. And then it became acceptable. Early on, you didn't want to tell people that you wore extensions. You did whatever it could be done. Whatever could be done. So that you wouldn't let your secret be known that you have extensions whatever you could. And then whatever I did, it was ridiculed. And so when Viola Davis was talking about that scene, I thought, there are a lot of black women carrying around a lot of self-hatred about their hair. And the thing is, no one told us that it was self-hatred. It was just like, oh, it's just, you know, you know, white women wish their hair was straight or you know, Asian women wish they had curly hair and all these things. It's just, oh, everybody wants what they don't have. And it was sort of poo-pooed and dismissed. But it's deeper with black women because it says that you're not beautiful. If you have long, straight Asian hair, you're still beautiful. You may want it curly, but you're still beautiful because that's something people want to attain. If you have long, silky, slightly wavy hair, you're still beautiful, even though you might want it straight or you might want it curlier or whatever. No one says you're not beautiful, or maybe they do, but not collectively as a whole society. I know my stepdaughter has curly hair and people made fun of her, but now that she's older, people love her beautiful curly hair. And she can straighten it when she wants it straight and keep it curly when she wants it curly. But when you're black, a black female, no one aspires to have your hair. Back in the 80s, at least, in the, in the 70s, and part of the 90s, really all of the 90s, no one. It's seen as ugly, it's a lot of work, it's bad. Slowly but surely, dreadlocks or dreads or locks became acceptable. Slowly but surely, wigs and weaves and braids have become acceptable. And slowly but surely, even shaving your head, which brings us to Jada Pinkett, you know, she apparently has alopecia and she shaves her hair to keep it, I don't know, I guess even, I'm not sure what her reasoning is. And then we have the slap with Will Smith. And to be honest, people are like, it's about, this is all about alopecia. And other people are like, no, this is all about comedians like being attacked on stage. If we had a rash of comedians being attacked on stage, then I would say, yes, that's true. No, all that was about was somebody who had impulse control. Chris Rock told a joke, which wasn't terribly offensive, even if you have alopecia. There's jokes that are just, I mean, he, it was about a beautiful woman, Demi Moore, who shaved her head. That's it. Now, if you feel sensitive about it and it was hurt and she was hurt, there's nothing wrong with her feeling like that wasn't funny. But Chris Rock wasn't intending to hurt her and didn't know she had alopecia, which we don't need to go into all of this. So that slap was about Will Smith and his anger issues and his lack of impulse control. That's it. You can attach all these different things if you want. That's all it was, in my opinion. But that brings us to Jada Pinkett's hair. Black women's hair 
has always been something that we don't talk about or is pain for us or society has quick to judge us. No Afros, not allowed to have Afros. People were fired from jobs, not hired from jobs if you had Afros. Same with twists, which are these little, I don't know how to describe them. You can Google them, little twists. They sometimes look similar to dreadlocks. Couldn't have dreadlocks, couldn't have an Afro, couldn't have twists. The only thing you could do was make your hair look as Anglo-Saxon as possible. And thankfully, those things have changed. They put laws on the books that that's not unprofessional to have an afro. It's not unprofessional to have braids. It's cultural. You, I can still do my job if I have braids. I can still speak in front of a crowd if I have dreads. I can still make sure my customers are satisfied if I have twists. If they're not happy because of my hair, that's their problem. So hair is so important. Even no matter what race you are, these, the American standard of beauty is ever prevailing. And it always tells us that we aren't enough, that your hair isn't long enough, straight enough, curly enough, shiny enough, blonde enough, dark enough, whatever enough. And then you can multiply that exponentially for black women. And I think it's important to talk about these things. Strangely enough, and I've only heard a few people mention this, Chris Rock actually did a small documentary called Good Hair, where he talked to barbers, he talked to black women, he talked about the fight that we have with our hair, the battle, the different types of things that we go through. It's so ironic because if you're, generally speaking, if you're a black woman, oh, let me set myself up in my chair, you've seen that documentary or you've heard of it. So I'm pretty sure that Jada Pinkett has seen or heard of that documentary, which I'm like, and this is the woman who was okay with her husband slapping someone about hair? It really delves into what we go through. I think he could have gone deeper and done more, but he's a black man. I mean, we could talk about black male hair, but I don't know what that's like to be a black man and what they go through. It's a little bit different because generally speaking, if black men keep their hair short, they're fine. And white women find black men attractive. Generally speaking, white men don't find black women attractive much unless they're gay. The most wonderful comments, I've, compliments I've ever gotten from white men were from gay white men. Straight white men want straight white women. Sure, they're like, oh, I love Halle Berry. Halle Berry is half, whack, half black and half white. Or they might point out this actress or that actress, but mostly speaking, they didn't want to bling, bring a black woman home to mom and dad. Not because they're racist, just not, they just aren't attracted to us. Which is what our society regularly tells us that we're not attractive and it starts with our hair and then ends with our skin. Early on, it's funny, I was sharing this with my stepdaughter. In the 80s, you wanted to look like certain types of models, all white models, Cheryl Teagues, Christy Brinkley, they were all blonde hair, blue eyes, very few, like Cindy Crawford came along and she was exotic because she had dark hair and this little mole above her lip. That was a big deal. Elle McPherson, all of these models that weren't blonde and blue, that was new. But all of them were stick figures with flat butt flat butts and like maybe B, maybe C size boobs. Having a big butt didn't happen until Jennifer Lopez and then later on Kim Kardashian. Jennifer Lopez, I believe early on at least, her butt was natural. 
If you had a big butt, that meant you were fat. Nobody wanted curves. You wanted to be straight down. You wanted an hourglass figure, like your waist to go in and then out, but that was it. You wanted long, skinny legs, skinny arms, not too big boobs, not too small, and a small, flat ass that guys could just grab. That was the American standard of beauty. And then black women, here we are with bigger butts, bigger lips, more curvy, you know, bigger boobs. That was bad. So from start to finish, whether it's our hair, our skin, our body types, we're seen as unattractive. And then the 2000s hits and it starts to change, or even the late 90s. Curves are a thing. People want, girls want to have curves. The American standard of beauty changes. I mean, we can go back in time and talk about Rubenesque when there was bigger, curvier, plumper women. But in the 80s and the 70s, and part of the 90s, you wanted to be a stick figure. I'm glad that's changed. I don't know if it's affected eating disorders in any way, in a positive way, because now girls are injecting this and that into their butt, and they're like, oh, my butt's not big enough. Before it was too big, and now it's too small. And ugh. But as a black woman, if you had big lips, it was a terrible thing. But now, white women inject their lips with all kinds of things, and it's okay to have bigger lips. It's a strange thing. Rap music wasn't acceptable until white suburbia started listening to it. So that happens, you can see that many, many times in our culture and society, but that's a whole nother show. The sad thing is, I look at my daughter and I look at my daughter and I gotta tell you what I think. It's well, first of all, I look at her and I'm like, she's amazing and she's healthy and she's beautiful and she's cute and I love her little personality and it's bizarre even though she's adopted, she's a lot like me and my husband. She like has our traits, both physically and like personality wise. It's very bizarre. And they say that happens. So we're not the first person that that happens to. It's just, I think that's where God comes in. But I actually need to take a break because I haven't taken a break yet. I usually do much before this. But um, I want to take a break. I got to go feed my little my little peanut. And I want to tell you what my experience has been with her hair and what I think about her future. And some of it's good and some of it's not so good. So stay with me. I'll be right back. Hey, it's Jody Rollins again, and I'm super excited to announce that Anchor, all of their tech support team, have solved the issues with my paid premium subscription episodes. So now they are available and ready for your listening pleasure. So if you need more of the show, if you crave more big time small talk, if you want a more intimate, a more personal experience, subscribe now. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and follow the instructions. That's it. It's 15 bucks a month and each of these premium subscription episodes are available for your listening pleasure on either the Anchor app or Anchor Online or Spotify app or Spotify Online. Unfortunately, not on Apple yet, but maybe someday. So, 
Sign up today and get more Big Time Small Talk. Welcome back. So, yeah, before the break, I was talking about everything that I'm, the positives and the negatives that I am concerned about with my daughter's hair. But before we get into that, I do want to say, you probably just heard the promo for the um, paid premium subscription episodes. That's such a mouthful, paid premium. Anyway, the premium episodes. And yes, everything is fixed and the episodes are up and available. I'm going to record another one this week as well. So super excited about that. It's going to be a companion piece to this episode. So if you haven't signed up, if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and click the link in the show notes where it says subscribe to premium episodes or something along those lines and just follow the link there. And then that's it. 15 bucks a month. So you can listen to the episodes just to clarify on Anchor or Spotify only. All of my episodes are listed on Anchor and Spotify, but only the main show episodes will be listed on Apple. So you can either toggle back and forth between those apps or a couple of apps, or you can just listen all the time on Spotify or all the time on Anchor. That is your choice. Um, So yeah, I'm excited about that. And unfortunately, Anchor has said they're working on it, or maybe they will. I don't know. There's no push notification that will be sent to you when there are premium episodes. You just kind of have to check back. I wish if I didn't have an infant, I would go back to always recording my shows on Tuesdays, which is what I used to do before her and before my stepson got diagnosed with cancer. I just can't. And I apologize for any inconvenience for you guys. My schedule is just too wacky. So... I do them whenever I can. (laughs) Like right now, I started the first part of the show this morning when Rowan was taking a nap, and now it's 11, 12 p.m. So it's a big gap between the two. And um, anyway, the reason I mention that is you can always, if you follow me on Instagram at Jody Rollins, so shoot me a follow. I always post on my Insta stories when I have new episodes and I will especially be posting when I have premium episodes. So that's a great way to kind of keep up with the show and keep track since there are no push notifications. So don't forget to check out my Insta stories. Also, um, I have uh, Twitter at Jody's Box. I'm a little annoyed right now because Elon Musk just purchased it, which means he'll probably bring Trump back and all the, the lying Trumpers, which, hey, I'm all for free speech. But when it's dangerous, I am not. The same way you can't yell fire in a theater, that famous saying, you also can't yell lies on Twitter or type lies on Twitter when you're a president or someone very powerful. But Elon Musk thinks that's an A-OK thing. So that's another show. But um, so yeah, at Jody's Box on Twitter. And then don't forget the best way you can really help me grow this show is to share the show. Share it with a friend, a family member, a foe even, a coworker. Just, you know, click the link and share it with them. It makes a huge difference. That as well as 
clicking follow or subscribe to the main show wherever you have the opportunity and then click five stars or rate the show with a written review. It makes a huge difference. I wish it didn't, but it is the difference between people listening and not listening. And the more reviews you have, the more five stars you have, the more people think, oh, well, you have value. So please just take a couple minutes. I know I say it every single episode and you go, uh-huh, I'll get to that or no, I don't feel like it. Even if you've already left a review, go ahead and leave another one. Cannot hurt. Thank you in advance for listening to my longtime loyal listeners and thank you to the new listeners. I don't know how you found the show, but I'm glad you did. So um, yeah, and if you like the show, go ahead and write that review. And if you don't like the show, well, keep listening until you do. Um, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so everything you need, click the show notes. Everything is there. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, write me at bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com or DM me or message me through social. I'm happy to walk you through anything or answer any questions you may have, questions, comments, or concerns. Okay? Okay. So before the break, I was talking about there's sort of pluses and minuses when I think about the future of what my daughter will experience with her hair. And it's interesting because obviously as the mother of a daughter, you want her to have like a good life, an easy life as much as possible. You don't want your child to be picked on, obviously boy or girl, but I'm only speaking specifically about daughters, but you want them to be pretty and you want boys to like them someday and all of these things. And when I look at her, obviously, I'm happy that she's healthy and she's, you know, um, her personality and all of her, everything developmentally is wonderful, but you care about their hair and their looks too. I mean, maybe some women don't, but I do. And many, many of us do. And I look at her hair and I, I marvel because it's beautiful. And I would have loved her hair if it looked like sticks or hay or whatever, because it was hers. But it's curly. It has these beautiful ringlets. Like I just pull on them sometimes and just go like, doing, not like really pull, but just pull it back a little and just bounces back. Doing. It's so cute. And first of all, her hair is jet black. And a lot of times people think, that every black person has jet black hair unless they're mixed or something. And my hair has never been black. It's a dark brown with like reddish undertones, turns red when I go swimming and stuff like that. And um, so, but my hair's always been like an Afro texture unless I straightened it chemically and or through flat ironing and all of that, curling ironing and all of that and blow drying, all the tools and stuff that we use. But my daughter's hair is like when, when she was born and I was not there when she was born, but I met her very shortly after she was born within an hour or so. And um, it was stick straight. And a lot of black babies come out with stick straight hair, but not all. But this was like smooth and straight hair. So I would just brush it and it would just stay straight. And then it started to get a little bend in it and then a little flip. And then it turned into a little bit of a curl, a little bit of a curl and then curly. And now it's, and then it got bigger and bigger and it's like really curly. And I do add creams and conditioners and products to her hair so that you can just see these beautiful care uh, curls. And it's not a lot of stuff, but just to keep her hair healthy because I don't want it to break and whatever. So but it's beautiful. 
And I look at her and I'm like, oh, this is so wonderful. She's not going to have to fight with her hair. Now, yeah, she may grow up and be like, oh, God, my hair is so curly. I can't stand it. But she won't know what I had to go through with hair because her hair isn't the same texture as mine. She, even though she's got a black mom and a black dad and she is adopted for those of you who are new listeners and her mom had a little bit lighter skin than I had and her dad has much darker skin she obviously has something else in her uh I guess her DNA or whatever and the the birth mom had told me that she she thought that the dad which was her boyfriend um was mixed with possibly Indian, like East Indian or Asian Indian, depending on what you want to call it. So I'm thinking that's how she got the curls. And they're gorgeous. And when she gets older, she can flat iron her hair if she wants and have it straight or curly. Her choice, I'm sure it's going to look beautiful no matter what. But there's a part of me that's like, I am so glad that she will not hate her hair or be disappointed with her hair the way that I was and that she won't be walking around with ribbons in her hair. And if for some, some reason I have the hiccups, if for some reason she does, I will stop in my tracks and find a way to do a better job to help her appreciate and love herself and her hair in a way that no one did for me. I think because my parents didn't know what it was like to be growing up in Colorado with all these white kids, which, yeah, I had great friends and all of that. Don't get me wrong. But it was a constant battle with my hair and what people would say about it. And that was hard. And you grow up with these wounds, just like Viola Davis mentioned, that don't just go away. You have to work on healing those wounds. And so many of my white friends just think, oh, well, you know, or even people I don't know, they've talked about it on social media. Eh, you know, it's just like everybody has things that they don't like. I mean, you know, I wish my hair was straighter. I wish my hair was curlier. I mean, it's everybody. So it doesn't make, you know, all, everyone has hair issues. It's kind of like, well, white lives matter. It's all the same. It's not all the same. It's one thing if you don't like your hair, that sucks. It's another thing when society and culture doesn't like your hair because of your culture. Totally different. And that's where the self-hatred comes from. Because you're regularly told by people who don't look like you that you should look like them. Or your hair should look like them. And that's a lot to take when you're just a kid or a teenager trying to fit in and belong and feel pretty. So it breaks my heart. When people think, oh, it's just, I mean, everybody has issues and things that they don't like. It's very different when it's like even just that phrase, things that you don't like. It's not an entire society telling you you're ugly. Your hair is not right. It needs to be relaxed. It's so uptight. It's coarse. Coarse is not a, has a negative, it has a negative connotation. Coarse. That's rough uncomfortable, scratchy, itchy, jagged. That's what they call it. That's what they call our hair, coarse texture. Lately, they've started to number our hair texture. There's like, oh, there's coily. There's a tighter curl. There's a number one. There's a number two, three, I think four, instead of calling it coarse. 
horses for salt, you know? So from the get-go, you're told your hair as a black female in this society is a negative thing. Doesn't matter if you wear twists or dreads or locks, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't matter if you wear braids or jerry curl or hair extensions or a wig. You are looked down on. Wigs and hair extensions became totally accepted when white women started wearing them. But before then, it was like, oh, my God, that girl's got extensions. Like, ooh, why would you? I would see this all the time. Why would you get extensions? You can just grow your hair. Well, what happens is, like I mentioned, when you chemically weaken your hair, it's going to break and be brittle and dry. And so you can grow it all you want, but then you end up with those split ends or damaged ends. So you can't grow it out. So I think you guys get the point. And that's the stuff that I'm happy that I believe anyway, my daughter won't have to deal with. And I'm going to work really hard to help her love herself from top to bottom, her hair, her skin. She has the most beautiful little lips. I mean, ugh, I just look at them and they're so cute. But easily someone could say like, your lips are big and they're not huge, but they're like pouty. And you know, now bigger lips are a thing. But when I was a kid, they weren't. And even, you know, she's she's a baby. Hopefully 10, 12, 15, 18 years from now when she really starts to care about her appearance, none of this stuff will matter the same because it's better now than when I was a kid. So it's going to even get better from when she is a kid now or baby now to when she's a teenager or a preteen. So I do get a little concerned, but I know I'm going to work really hard. And my husband is also going to work really hard. Again, if you're a new listener, my husband's white. And so, you know, we plan on moving to New, new England, which is a very white area of the country. But where we're thinking about living is very close to Massachusetts. And Massachusetts is very diverse in parts of it and lots of culture. And so we're going to make sure she is involved in activities and um things that she can do where she can see other people that look like her. So she's not only around all white kids, like mostly I was. And she's going to be in a different world because the world that she grows up in, who knows what's going to happen in the next 10, 12, 15 years. But at least for now, she'll grow up knowing, yeah, we had a black president and, and we had a biracial black female, East Asian uh, female vice president. Okay. And we have a couple of black Supreme Court justices. And there's a lot of, you know, multicultural, diverse politicians, actors, singers, writers, dancers, athletes, public speakers, poets, all kinds of things, artists. All of them will be people who already are people who look like her. When I was a kid, most of that wasn't true. And now... It is. And I believe it'll only get better. I hope it'll only get better. So it's a plus and minus. I worry about her the same way any parent worries like, oh, I don't want my kid to be picked on or, you know, have name call, be name called or have any kind of bullying. But that added additional fear of racism and bigotry and prejudice and othered and marginalized. 
that can happen when you're black in America. Strictly, it comes out with regard to your hair, because somehow that's safe to say, you know, it's safer to say to somebody, your hair is funny looking instead of you're ugly because you're black. When it's sort of one and the same thing. So many parents are like, oh, you know, don't, don't pick on them. Everyone's the same. So when you see these kids and they ridicule other kids because they're different and you know that it's worse when it comes to race, I get scared for my daughter. But I'm happy that things are different now than they were when I was a kid and they'll be even better when she's older. Just even like when she's 12. You know, one of the reasons I did this show was that I wanted to talk about things that aren't usually talked about. And I, I know like Chris Rock did that documentary about black hair called Good Hair, just in case anybody wants to stream it again. You can Google it and see where it is streaming for free or for pay. And I think it's important to talk about these uncomfortable things. It's important to talk about the pains and the, 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 the negative experiences that any of us have so that we can understand each other better. I think when I was a kid or even a teenager, everyone was aiming for tolerance. You know, it's really important to tolerate other races and tolerate other religions. That was a regular phrase. Tolerance is like, it's like, I will live near you, but I don't want you as my next door neighbor. That's like kind of what tolerance breeds in my mind. Or I want black people to have the same education, but I don't want them to go to my school. Or I want black people to go to my kid's school, but I don't want my friend or my kids to be friends with them. It's always this sort of keeping people at an arm's length when you aim for tolerance, in my opinion. I aim for understanding. Because if you understand where I came from, then you understand more about me today and why I do what I do and why I think what I think. And then we can build relationships from there, form connections from there and find growth. You know, I have all kinds of conversations with my friends. I have white friends. I have black friends. I have Latino friends and Latina friends. I have Native American friends. I have East Asian friends. I have Asian friends. I have the gamut and my life is enriched when I get to talk to them about the things that they've gone through. Even if, and I say with all due respect, even if it's some of my white friends who are like, look, I don't know what to say about race. I feel like I'm going to have my head bitten off if I say this or that, or I might say the wrong thing. And I don't ever want to make people feel that way. That's not who I am. I always think about how, you know, little people or um, uh, dwarfs, that's what they prefer to be called. When I was a kid, they went by a different word that started with an M. And I won't say that. You can Google it if you want to know what little people used to be called. I think most of us know the word. They don't like that. They don't like to be called that. I've known one little person in my lifetime, not very well. He went to the gym I went to and somehow we struck up a conversation once and, and 
just kind of small talk and I would see him every now and then. And that was it. But even though I've never really known little people, I do watch little people, big world on TLC. I love that show by the way, but um, which is about a family of little people and average height people. But I know that they don't like to be called the M word. And so I respect that. And I would hope that if I meet another little person and I slip up and say the M word, they'll just kindly correct me and move on. I don't like it when anyone is biting someone's heads off, biting someone's head off for a mistake or something that they didn't know or didn't understand. It's okay. Like some people are like, is it, is it African-American or is it black? It's almost like they tiptoe. I don't care. Some people do care, but I'm not going to bite your head off. Ask me questions, especially on this show. If you've got questions about black people or me as a black person or black culture, to the best of my ability, I will answer them. I don't speak for all black people. I just speak for me. But it's good to talk about this stuff. Because when you keep it kind of squashed down or quashed down, no good comes from that. I think it's good to understand each other's cultures to the best of our abilities, to understand, you know, oh, well, this is the pain that you've been through. This is the suffering you've been through. Even if it sounds like, oh, it's just hair, you know? I had an Asian boss, one of my all-time favorite bosses ever. She was so kind and so supportive and positive, and she would roll up her sleeves and get in the trenches with us, the metaphorical trenches. This is when I was waiting tables. A lot of managers would just point and tell you what to do and not help you. She would always help us and always supported us. And we were talking about hair once, and she was saying something to the effect of like how her hair, even though she was Asian, had like a curl to it, a little bit of a curl, and that she was picked on when she was younger by her Asian friends and family member, family members because her hair wasn't stick straight. And she was getting that, what was that? There was like a, a, a hair straightening thing that was really popular back in like 2003, four, five, somewhere in there. And it was like this chemical and then they would like flat iron it in your hair what was it called? The Brazilian, it was like a, a Brazilian blowout. That's what it was. And I always thought her hair was naturally straight. And she's like, oh no, I get the Brazilian blowout like every however often she did. But there she was sharing with me that she had issues with her hair. You know, culturally, I always thought that all Asians, for the most part, at least if you're Japanese or Chinese, had stick straight hair. And it was beautiful. And she's like, no. And I think she was Chinese and she didn't. So I learned something about her and we kind of commiserated about our experiences and we built understanding just from talking about hair. So it isn't just nothing. It isn't just hair. You know, I've, I've posted on social media like curly hair don't care. It's supposed to be this effortless thing. I haven't always felt effortless about my hair. I do all kinds of things to it and with it. But... Doing a show today, to me, was about building understanding and sharing something personal and hoping that, you know, as you listen to the show, I mean, obviously I've talked about this before, the show is semi-autobiographical, but as you go forth in your day, 
whether it's your black coworkers, if you have any, your black friends, your black neighbors, your black, I don't know, if somebody you see at the grocery store or walking down the street or in school with you or on the train or the bus or in the car next to you, maybe you'll have a different perspective on why her hair is the way it is. Or maybe you'll be more open-minded, you know? Building understanding can come from anything, even hair. So I think it's important to talk about that stuff. I am going to continue this episode in the companion episode, um, one of the premium episodes. So I hope you will sign up and listen to the next portion. I'm going to share some more of my personal experiences and things that have happened with me. And um, hopefully you guys will get some more out of it. And we'll talk more about hair. Because it isn't just, you know, oh, okay, get your hair done and oh, it doesn't look pretty or whatever. Culturally, it is a big deal. There are laws that are now being passed so that you can't discriminate because a woman wears an afro. If you have to make a law for that, that says that hair, I hate to sound cliche, hair matters. So... I think it's an important topic and I'm sure I will touch on it here or there in the future in other upcoming shows, but don't forget to tune into the premium episode part two of this hair care episode. I think it's important. Thank you for letting me share my experiences. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. 